I titled the sermon, The Value of Fire-Tested Faith. The Value of Fire-Tested Faith. And we're uh, going to see that kind of build out in these verses. We're just going to cover verse uh, 6 through 9 today in 1 Peter. And uh, what I want to do, you'll see on your, on your sermon notes, I did something quite different today. I've ne- actually never preached a sermon like this. I asked all the questions that I often ask, only I just put them all in the notes. So these are questions a lot of times that I have when I'm reading a text. Well, what does that mean? And what does that word connect to? And how come that's there? What's, how do these go together? And I just put 10 questions down, and I'm going to spend the entire sermon working through these verses and seeking to answer these questions from the text and from other passages. So um, not many fill-in-the-blanks, kids. Sorry, just a couple here for you today. But a lot of questions that have answers in these verses. So let's dive in here. The first section, verses 6 and 7, I titled, God's Purpose for Our Pain. God's Purpose for Our Pain. Listen to these verses. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, now there is so much happening in these verses that we just need to take our time and move through here and unpack these a little bit. So question number one is related to this this line, in this you rejoice. Well, in what? In, in this, he says. And we realize that we've picked up the text uh, after a couple weeks here where we left off. And so the flow continues. And the, the answer to this question, what is the this that roots our rejoicing, requires us to go, to go back to where we were a couple weeks ago. So let me read where we just looked um, as Peter has been teaching us. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. His great mercy. He has caused us, not we, but He. He has caused us to be born again, regenerated, that is, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. And then this line here. This is, this is, I think, the preface to all of the sermon today. Who, that is believers, you, who, by God's power, are being garrisoned or guarded or kept, preserved through faith. Now, this, there's our word, faith. Through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. That's his flow. That's what he's saying. So with all of this in view, this great salvation that you didn't accomplish, that God did, and all of this inheritance, this promise, this hope that lives in you, you have this confidence that come what may, he guards you, he holds you. How does he do it? Through faith. And what we're going to see here is in this passage that we're looking at today, he has that faith in view. One of the ways he preserves us and guards us and keeps us in faith is by refining our faith through trials, through challenges. He puts the weights on the weight bar of faith 
so that the muscle of faith is built and toned and shaped. And as we walk through this life and as we go through the valley of the shadow of death and as we deal with suffering and pain and loss, we are kept, guarded through faith by his power for this salvation, ready to be revealed. So that's the build out. And it's, it's a cause to rejoice. There is nothing that you will face in this life, Christian, that, that has not passed through the grid of God's purpose for that trial to preserve you, to keep you, to guard you through faith for salvation. We are guarded through faith by God's power, and that is every reason to rejoice. Think of this. If our confidence in persevering in the Christian life was our own strength, we would be pitiable. I mean, just think. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That, that's not a lot of confidence, is it? Take my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Hold me. Keep me. Preserve me. Through faith. This is the work of God, and it meets us in the fire. It meets us in the pain. It meets us in the challenge and adversity of life. So, Second question then, how can Peter say a little while? How can he say a little while? He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So a little while? Some of you are like, well, i got to tell you, Peter, this doesn't feel like a little while. I mean, think of what some of you have been going through. Some of the chronic pain folks in this room. Some of the, those who are listening online because you can't even get here, right? So some of the folks who, who wake up in the morning with pain, and, and that, is the, that is the day. That is, that is what you deal with all day long. Some of you who have lost a spouse, and the grief is incredible. You feel that loss every day, and it doesn't seem to fade. And you're saying, Peter, I know you're saying a little while, but this feels long. This is not easy. A little while. It's interesting because time, in that sense, is relative. You might say, well, well, well how long have you been at our church? And, and some of you, if this is your first time, you say, well, I've been here about 35 minutes. Well, that's relatively short. That's a little while. But some of you may say, well, I've been here, you know, four months. And, and we might say, well, that's, that's a little while. Right? You see, the, the point is, is that a little while is in reference to something. So when Peter says, grieved by various trials for a little while, he is looking at something far greater to say of this life. Even 85 years is a little while compared to what is coming. Think of this. 85 trillion years versus 85 years, and then add infinity to the end of that. You can see why he's saying this. This life is short, friends. It is the, it's like a breath. It just, it's here and it's gone. The sufferings that you endure, even if you endure them all of your days, they are relatively short, momentary. This wording shows up 
In 2 Corinthians, so we do not lose heart, Paul says, though our outer self is wasting away. He knows that. He feels that. This guy experienced all kinds of persecution in his own body. He got hit with rocks so many times they thought he was dead and threw him out of the city. And then he he woke up and walked back in. I mean, think of all of the times he was hit with the lashes and the scars on his body. He feels pain. He knew chronic pain. And he says this, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then he uses similar language that Peter uses. For this light, momentary affliction. Now, if you have read Paul and you understand what he understands of persecution and suffering, and he calls it light and momentary, how can he do that? Well, you got to see what he's looking at. Keep reading. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us. It's working. God is employing it to prepare us for an eternal weight of glory. Eternal, unending. The weight of this glory that's coming is beyond all comparison. We do not look to the things that are seen uh, as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen For the things that are seen are transient, they're passing, they're fading. But the things that are unseen are forever, they're eternal. So one of the ways you walk through life with this joy and and can say the suffering is real, yes, we don't deny suffering. It hurts, it's real, it grieves our hearts. We, We feel this loss and this pain. It's there, yes, but we can rejoice even there. Because we know it is momentary in comparison with what is coming. It will be a distant memory soon. Just hang on. Just hold in there day by day. Keep your eyes on the eternal prize. One of the ways we rejoice in this life, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, is by keeping our eyes on what is coming. We have a future, and it is brighter than you can imagine. Christian, this is why your life is to be defined by joy regardless of the situation you find yourself in. This joy is not beaten down by the circumstance. It's bigger than the circumstance. It finds expression even when it's hard. There is every reason to rejoice. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. Now these words are significant, aren't they? If necessary. Well, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Why would anyone say they're necessary? Who is in view here? Is Peter saying, listen, I'm determining that there's some trials that are necessary for you? No. The Lord does. That's what he's talking about. If necessary, if the Lord determines that a trial is necessary, then you have been grieved by these things. Various trials. This this is a a range of things. Could be something as as, as frustrating as as an ingrown toenail on a day you were going to go on a hike. right? Something that seems relatively minuscule all the way up to massive loss and devastation. The loss of a family member, a wayward child. Think of the the weight and the agony and on down the line to fill in the blanks. So many stories here in this room, even as I look around. 
So we have to ask the question, if necessary, is, is he saying that it, it's God's will that we suffer? It's just, that's a hard thing to fathom. How can that be? What, why would God ever say it's necessary for you to hurt? It's necessary for you to grieve. It's necessary for you to feel loss and pain and, and, and heartache to go through trials. How would we answer that question? Is it God's will that we suffer? The answer is no and yes. No in the sense that God does not see pain as an end in itself. He is not a God who just delights to hurt. He's a God who loves. He he doesn't see trials and suffering as, as an end in themselves. He sees them as a means to a greater end. He will bring about what he hates to accomplish what he loves. He he can employ sin, even of others, against you to accomplish things in you that you could never accomplish yourself. You meant it for evil, Joseph said. But God meant the very sin and betrayal and cover-up and all of the harm that his brothers committed against him. God meant that for good. To bring about the deliverance. To put Joseph in a situation where he could provide for the very people who betrayed him most. The cross of Christ is the great resounding answer to this question. Can God employ the sin of others to accomplish salvation itself? The answer is yes. That's how he chose to save The murder of the most innocent man who ever walked the planet brought about the greatest salvation the world has ever known. Is it necessary? Is is it God's will that we suffer? So, no, it's not His will that we suffer. God God doesn't want us to sin against one another. God doesn't want us to harm each other. God doesn't want us just to hurt for no reason. But yes, it is God's will that we suffer for a purpose, the purpose that he has for our pain. Sorrow, pain, loss, extended suffering, decline, deep disappointment and heartache, rejection, betrayal, persecution, accusation, the list could go on and on. No and yes. Yes, listen to this verse in 1 Peter 4, verse 19. Therefore, Let those who suffer according to God's will (laughs) entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Wow. Let those who suffer according to the will of God. So God has determined that it's necessary in this situation for suffering, for trial, for challenge, for heartache, for loss, for grief, for pain, He has determined it's necessary. He is accomplishing something here. And he says, when you suffer, entrust your soul to a faithful creator while doing good. And we know this from James chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. Not only do we meet with trials, but we can count it all joy. That means rejoice greatly. It's the same language here that we see 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith. Well, who does that? Satan? (laughs) No. That's not Satan's goal to strengthen our faith. God is bringing trials to test your faith. He's putting weight on the weight bar so that you will exercise the faith of of confidence in him, trusting him, and, and depending upon him. And what does it bring? It brings strength, perseverance, steadfastness. What do you need, Christian? You need a stronger faith. How do you get that, Christian? Trials. Where God proves himself faithful again and again and again. He shows himself to be all that you know him to be, but in part. And as you go through the fire, you are refined in your faith and you trust him all the more. And he shows himself good and glorious and wise and accomplishes, even in that suffering, far more than you ever imagined possible. Only a God of sovereignty and goodness can work in a way like this. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, that is, full, established, equipped, that is, to live, lacking nothing. So, when was the last time, Christian, that you rejoiced at a flat tire? I mean, you know, the funniest thing, I had a nail in my back left tire for a year and a half. And I would fill my tire up every now and then over and over, and it was just a slow, steady little leak, and then it was just annoying me. Finally, my wife, loving me with exhortation, she said, Honey, do you think maybe we should go get that tire fixed? I'm like, Hey, that's a good idea. (laughs) So the guy at the tire place is like, Your husband filled this up for a year and a half? He had a nail in his tire, and he, Yeah, he did, he did. By the grace of God, he did not allow that tire to go flat in a situation that would have been a huge inconvenience. But if indeed it had, what Peter is telling us here is that there is an opportunity in that to rejoice rather than to grumble. And faith has a choice in that, in that moment. What will I choose? The, the, the refining of our faith helps us choose to rejoice. When we meet with trials of various kinds, and let's just say a flat tire is nothing compared to some of the challenges that we experience in this fallen world. The love of God, the goodness of God, the all-wise God, the God of all wisdom, the sovereignty of God, the one who is able to employ Things that we could never conceive of. We we reach mystery here really quickly. Like how can you use the sin of others to bring about good in my life? He's like, yeah, I, I do that. I do that. I can even accomplish good in your life through your own failings to show my righteousness, my faithfulness, and to humble you to repentance and trust. What a God we have who is committed to growing us and strengthening our faith and equipping us to live in this mess of a world that we find ourselves in. Requires faith. 
God will take you where you haven't intended to go, Paul Tripp says, in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. I thought that was a great statement. He will take you where you hadn't intended to go. And that's a, a nice way of saying he will put you in the furnace. He will put you in the fire. He will challenge and bring trial in order to produce. That's the purpose for pain. To produce what you cannot achieve on your own. Some of the most renowned and God-honoring Christians are those who have suffered greatly. Think of Johnny Erickson Tata. Listen to how she describes her view of suffering. Every sorrow we taste will one day prove to be the best possible thing that could have happened to us. She says, we will thank God endlessly in heaven for the trials that He sent us here. So if you find yourself sitting alone this morning, if you find yourself on the receiving end of accusations, if you find yourself in a situation of betrayal, if you find yourself in a situation of, of a, the loss of a job because of honoring the Lord and, and walking in integrity, I mean, fill in the blank. If you find yourself in chronic pain, dealing with overwhelming circumstances, God is at work. You can know this. He is at work. And one day, <laughs> just think, one day you will thank Him for His all-wise bringing to pass of these trials in your life and for sustaining you and refining your faith through them and revealing more of who He is to you. This trial is not meaningless or random. Preach this to your heart. Get yourself in the mirror if you have to. Get alone. Get with your soul. Listen, soul. Listen. This trial is not meaningless or random. It comes to me with divine design. This is the gift of God. I have reason to rejoice. Oh, refine my faith, God. Make me holy and show yourself faithful once again. Pray that prayer. That's a tenacious prayer of faith and confidence. Question number four, how can I rejoice and grieve at the same time? This is a fascinating connection. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Well, how, how can you grieve and rejoice? You, Paul, which one is it? I mean, Peter, you're, you're, you're telling me to rejoice, and, and you're saying that I'm grieving. How can I do both? The answer is, you can. You, you can. You can grieve and rejoice at the same time. We are treated, Paul says, as impostors though we are true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed. Listen to this. As sorrowful, full of sorrow, and yet always rejoicing. So Paul understood that these two go hand in hand. In fact, the Christian life is a mingling of both of these throughout your life. As poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. These are the realities of the Christian life. 
When you hurt, when you suffer, when you experience loss and pain and heartache, yes, no denying those things, they are real, but there is even in that place a reason to rejoice. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trial or tribulation? Right? Go down the list of Romans 8. This is our confidence. We rejoice through tears. Sometimes when we gather to sing on Sunday morning, there are tears that flow. As we sing with smiles, these tears are tears of groaning, longing for healing, longing for wholeness, longing for the return of Christ when all this pain and heartache is gone. And yet they are tears of rejoicing, confident tears, tears of overwhelming victory in Jesus Christ. Think of the tree in Psalm 1. He's like a tree, the one who delights in God, who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wisdom or of the, of the scoffers or the, uh, the, the losers. Let me sum it all up with that. What does he do instead? He meditates on the law of God day and night. And how is he? What, what effect does that have on him? Well, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that bears fruit. It yields fruit in season. And its leaf does not wither. Have you ever thought of that? When you go through months with no rain, when you go through the drought, the hard times, you find yourself in the desert spiritually. The leaf doesn't wither. Why? Because you have tapped into the bedrock where the rich water flows and the roots run deep and rejoicing can be found even in that place, even when it's hard. I praise you in the storm. Rejoice always, Paul says. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. And then he adds this. This, this meets us, doesn't it? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, Christian, today. Regardless of your situation, regardless of the challenges and the trials and the heartache, there is a, a call for God who equips us and provides for us everything we need to rejoice. Rejoice always. This takes tenacious faith. It's an already not yet reality. Our faith is grounded in the accomplishments of our Savior already. What He has done. The, the work is finished. We are His forever. We are forgiven. We are set on high. We have living hope. We have an inheritance that's coming. We are being kept and guarded through faith by God's power. And yet, we are living in a broken world. We battle still with sin. We deal with darkness and shattered families and, and, and relationships going awry and political systems upside down. And, and we are very keenly aware that it's not yet. The kingdom has not yet arrived in full. But it's coming. It's coming. I was rehearsing for my kids on the way in. I get hyper on the way to church and my family puts up with me. But I was like, you know that, that sermon... Sundays are coming. You ever, ever heard that sermon? But Sundays are coming. And, and the, all the alliteration. And I, I tried my best to remember it. You know, it's Thursday. And the disciples are meeting. And Jesus is teaching. And I was going through. 
but Sunday's a coming. And then Friday, and then Saturday. That's what I feel like every day in this world. Oh, it's a mess, Lord. Stuff's falling apart. Politicians are lying. Stuff's falling down. People are dying, and you go down the lines and say, but you're coming. You're coming. The kingdom is coming. He's coming soon. In the midst of these situations, in the hard times, the, the deepest trials, know this. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. He will. It's coming. Death will be no more. Do you feel that? Oh, that enemy, death. What he does. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain. It's going to be gone. It's coming. It's coming. Hold on. Cling to him while we wait. Rejoice that you know this is coming. Question five, how can trials refine my faith? Why does my faith need to be refined? Why, why does it need to be strengthened? What, what is the goal here of these trials? Why would God purpose to send adversity our way if I trust him? Like, why would I need that? Well, think of our inclinations. Oh, yes, we believe, but oh, Lord, help our unbelief. Right? That prayer is so real, so honest. Oh, we're so quick to question, quick to grumble and complain, quick to fear and, and doubt. Lord, where are you? What are you doing? How can this be good in any way, shape, or form? Quick to turn elsewhere for hope and, and, and resolution. Oh, how quick we are to try to take it into our own hands. How quick we look to other things like, like retirement or like a, just another job or just a, a, a different person, right? You just, you just well, this will fix it, won't it? How slow we are to pray. How slow we are to rest in Him. Just abide in Him. How slow we are to praise. Friends, we need our faith put in the furnace. We need a fire-tested faith, increasingly all of us, as we grow and, and experience life with Christ. He loves us by refining the impurities that cling to our faith and making our faith stronger, slower to question, slower to grumble and complain, slower to fear and doubt, Slower to turn elsewhere, right? We, we know we've, he's proven himself over and over and over. We know he is able. He is working. He is good. Quicker to pray. Quicker to rest. Quicker to sing his praise. We need this. The value of fire-tested te faith. Listen to how he, he speaks of it. The tested genuineness of your faith. What does that mean? It means that some people walk around in this world and they say, yes, I trust in Jesus. And then adversity hits. And you realize that it was just a sticker. A fish on the bumper doesn't mean anything until the trial hits. 
until tenacious faith is required, until you, until you realize it's not just something I do on Sundays. No, he is everything. And if I have nothing left but I have him, I'm fine. This is fire-testing faith. It's more precious than gold. He says, you can refine gold all you want. Guess what? That gold will perish. (laughs) But your faith, fire-tested, proven true and genuine, you will last forever. It's a genuine, authenticated, abiding and persevering faith. That is the kind of faith that we are called to as we walk with the Lord. It's the kind of faith that we need in this world. Question six, who will be praised, glorified, and honored? Now this one may surprise you. <laughs> this, this is a surprise, right? Because we just had Reformation Sunday. We just said soli deo gloria, right? So listen to how this goes. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found, your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, our response is going to be, for all eternity, soli deo gloria. But there are passages that point, in addition to this one, that there is a commendation that is coming to those that persevere to the end. When the chief shepherd appears, 1 Peter 5.19, you, believers, you, Christian, in this case it's, it's, it's leaders, but, but it applies to us all, you will receive the unfading crown of what? Of glory. It's a glorious crown that will be placed upon your head as a, as a prize, as a reward, as an honor by the King of kings, the all-glorious God. Jesus told the parable of the talents, and listen to how it ends. This is our longing, right? When we meet with Him, what do we want to hear? All by His grace. Well done, good and faithful servant. Faith full servant you've been faithful look at the emphasis here faithful faithful full of faith you've been faithful over a little i will set you over much enter into the joy of your master now we know the the only reason we're entering into the joy of our master is because of the accomplishments of christ but there is motivation to persevere to the end to meet with those words from our beloved savior well done well done we know that he held us all the way. So that crown, we'll, we'll throw at his feet because we don't, we don't deserve it. He deserves all glory and praise, but there is a commendation that will come. Paul says in Romans 2.29, a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, not by the law. You can't earn your salvation. And then listen to this. His praise is not from man, which is what legalism promotes, the, the, the praise of man, but his praise, the one who is saved, circumcised in the heart, his praise is from God. Well, that's amazing. It's still soli deo gloria. It's still to God be glory alone forever and ever. 
But there is a reality that awaits you. Praise, the commendation of God for persevering faith. Glory, the crown of glory, the glory of Christ. That is glorification. It's the, it's the final step of salvation, isn't it? We talk about it, but this is what it is. Glorification of you, <laughs> of me. And honor given the full inheritance. Brought in as a joint heir with Jesus to, to receive from God this inheritance. This is motivation. This is cause for rejoicing. This is cause to persevere in faith. It will come when Christ is revealed. Now, the last section here, verses 8 and 9, faith-filled love and inexpressible joy. Faith-filled love and inexpressible joy. Four questions here. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining, not you have obtained, but obtaining, active, ongoing, the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's a lot in here. Let me just move through these questions. Question one, is it, impos- is, is it possible to see him and not love him? And if you're doing your Gospel of John study in John chapter 6, this week you may have already answered this question, right? Is it possible to see Christ and not love him? Listen to Jesus' own words. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. There is this idea that, man, if, just, if Jesus would just walk among us, we would totally have all of our, our hesitations or our uncertainties confirmed, and we would know him, and we would see him, we would follow him, we'd love him for sure. That's all we need. It's just, we just need him to be in our eyesight. I need my five senses to engage him, and it's done. Wrong. That's not true. The reality for all who are born into this fallen world, all who are born as depraved sinners, rebels of God, in their case, the God of this world, that is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, don't think, well, if we could just see him, it would be all good. No, no. Thousands, scores of people saw Jesus while he was on this earth, heard him teach, and we'll see in John 6, when he teaches some difficult things, they walk away. And Jesus turns to his disciples, and he's like, are you guys going to leave too? I mean, the crowds left. It is the miracle of spiritual sight that Peter is talking about here. John 6, 63a, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Not only is that true of your conversion, the moment you were saved, it wasn't your doing, it was God's doing, but it's also true of everyone who believes. The flesh is no help at all. So the fact that you do not see Him and you love Him is a miracle. It's glorious. It's cause for rejoicing. Peter is just like, this is the best. He saw him. Don't miss this. 
He walked with him and he denied him three times. What was the question? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He says, you haven't seen him and you love him. This is the work of God. It's every cause for rejoicing. Question number two, how does patient faith increase love? Patient faith. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice. You can't see him now. Even though you love him, you can't see him. What does that mean? We want to see him, but we can't yet. So we have to be patient as we wait. We anticipate this. We're, we're, we're loving him. We're waiting. How does that grow our love? Well, day by day, think of this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We're alive in him. We've tasted of him. We know how glorious and, and good he is. Listen to this. Lamentations 3, 21 to 25. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Have you had that experience? Increase of love. Every morning you wake up and he is faithful and his mercies are new. Guess what? You love him more than you did the day before. Great is your faithfulness. Oh, we sing this. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. He is good to those who wait for him. That's what we're doing. That's the Christian life. We're waiting for him. The soul who seeks him. Love increases. Patient faith is not stagnant. It's not just, it's not just floating and sitting. Patient faith tenaciously grows deep roots into the life-giving love of God every day. And it experiences his love more and more. That's what we do. Like a tree, we root deeply every day. While we wait. Hmm. Is your faith growing, Christian? Is your faith producing greater love for Christ? That's the epitome of relationship with Christ. Do you love Jesus more today than last year or the year before that? Question number three, why does confident faith overflow with joy? Why does confident faith overflow with joy? Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice. You rejoice with joy, inexpressible and filled with glory. Why is that? Why is, why is this, this confident faith producing a greater joy? This is, this is beyond where we started, right? This is the joy that comes from confident faith. It sounds this way. I love him. I trust in him. I know I am his. I know he is in control. Oh, my friends, what joy that brings. Do you know that today? He has a purpose for this pain. I know it. I know it. I believe this. He is working for my good even in this. I know that nothing can separate me from his love. I know it. You see what I'm saying? It's confident faith that brings this incredible joy. Someday soon I will see his face and this will be over. <laughs> this is temporary. It's a little while. He is my portion. He is today. 
my portion. In the land of the living and for all eternity. It is a confident joy. Rooted in faith that just overflows. It's a relational joy. It's not just separate, like down here and he's over here. No, we walk with him. We talk with him. We hear from him as we read his word. It's undaunted joy. What can threaten that joy? Nothing. It's peace-filled. It overflows. It's invincible. it's, It's not shaken by tragedy or trial. It is a limitless joy. That's why it's inexpressible. You just you can't put words to it. You, you sing it, and then you speak it, and you feel it, but it's, you can't exhaust it. It just overflows. The words aren't adequate to express this joy. And by the way, it's an eternal joy. You have it today. You will have it 85 trillion years from now <laughs> and on from there. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, Christian. Rejoice and be happy. Be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see what this joy does? This joy overcomes, it overwhelms the trial, crowds out that space. It's focused on what is coming. How does this kind of joy fuel my life now? It is a joy that fuels the Christian life. I thought thought of it this way. Here's how he reads. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, the glory of God. It's overwhelming you. And then he says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is the already and the not yet working itself out. Am I saved? Yes, I am saved. Justification. Am I being saved? Yes, I am being saved. I am obtaining the outcome of my faith, sanctification. Will I be saved? Absolutely, I am confident I will be saved. It will come when I see his face, glorification. I am being saved today. How am I being saved today? As I trust him, as I keep believing, as I push through the trials with a greater faith in him. We are Christians obtaining today the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Keep trusting him. Keep believing. That's the whole theme of the book of Hebrews. Keep believing. Run through the tape. Faith-fueled joy, joy joy-fueled obedience and perseverance, treasuring and trusting Christ until he comes or calls us home. That is the Christian life. Do you experience that? Believer, is this this something that you're experiencing? If if you're struggling, okay, if if you're here today and you're struggling, and we do, friends, we do, we need this reminder. Look up. Look up. Consider who he is. Consider what he's promised. And then think of what is coming. It will put it in perspective. It doesn't mean that the pain or the grief just eliminates and goes away. No, it means that there's a way to rejoice even in that place. He will meet you there. 
He's close to the brokenhearted. He binds up those who are hurting. And we have a future. So our response, I was thinking how to land this, and I, I was just thinking of uh, this old Jeep I had. I, I love Jeeps. I've always loved Jeeps. I had a Jeep for a while, but I did not have a Jeep with this on it. That was a little too expensive for me. I had the entry-level Jeep that I had to trick out myself. The more expensive Jeeps come with this little, little circle logo thing on the side, and it, they say trail-rated, and I always thought that was cool. Right? I mean, how much money do people pay to get that little emblem? Trail rated. Well, what does that mean? It means that that Jeep, in its design and, and uh, specifications, has been tested. It has been tried and found sufficient, found able. It, it has made it through all of the challenges that they put it to. It is trail rated. Christian, that is what God is accomplishing for your faith. He is fire-testing your faith day by day in this life in all kinds of different ways, various trials. He's fire-testing your faith that someday you may have, by His grace, trail-rated, placed upon your life. Man, someday in glory, we're going to tell stories of how He was faithful of how he brought us through all oh, the deep valleys that we, we drove down into, all oh, the climb up out of those things, the deep water we had to pass through. Think of what it will be like to, for his glory, tell the stories of his faithfulness as we all will wear that banner across our faith, trail-rated, fire-tested, and held by God's grace all the way to the end. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that your love is more than just warm fuzzies. It is that, but it's so much more. Lord, we thank you that your love is a commitment to make us holy, to, to refine us, to equip us to trust you, to look to you, to depend upon you, to humbly bow before you, in ways we could not on our own bring ourselves to. We give praise to you for your love that would, would add weight to the weight bar of our faith to build that muscle, that you would put our faith in the furnace and try us and yet meet us in the need so that as we cry out to you, you are faithful, you are there, and you show yourself to be all that you are. Oh God, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you keep us, you guard us through faith by your power, not by ours. You keep us by your power. I pray, Lord, for those who are in this place today as they were, they're passing through high water, as they're dealing with the furnace of affliction, as they deal with loss and hurt and suffering and grief. Lord, bind them up. Turn their gaze upward to you. May they see you and delight in you and sing your praise and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible, supernatural, a gift from you today. For your glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.